0: Welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for Families. In our podcast, we look for the best of the West and discuss the stories, events, themes, and people that made the West different than the rest. Last episode was a special episode dedicated to discussing how the West has treated unborn children, from ancient Egypt to Israel to Athens to Rome to France to England to colonial America up till the present day. Today we will be back to discussing Rome we will be studying the history of slavery in Rome and how it brought an end to the Roman Republic. Now, slavery is an ancient institution far predating Rome, and it still exists even today. Because it was an integral part of Roman society, and because it is mentioned several times in the New Testament, we will need to understand it for future episodes. Unfortunately, we won't have time today to do a complete deep dive into the entire history, Instead, I will cover a brief overview of the practice before Rome, then I will discuss the idiosyncrasies of Roman slavery, including how it relates to the New Testament, and how to get out of it. The word slave comes from the Byzantine Greek term sklavos, which translates as Slavic, This is in reference to the Slavic people who were geographically located in Eastern Europe. During the 9th century AD, these Slavs were being captured and abused by Venetians and sold to the Spanish Muslim community. But slavery as a practice far precedes this term. It goes back at least as far as 3000 BC to ancient Mesopotamia. In ancient Sumer, most slaves were debtors who voluntarily sold themselves and their descendants into a life of servitude. When demand was especially high for extra help in farms or labor, the kings of Samaria would send bands of men out to plunder neighboring city-states in the hill country in order to acquire more slaves. The standard of Ur, a box decorated with mosaics from the 3rd millennium B.C., depicts King Or Pabelsag, reviewing the slaves brought in from war. By 1750 BC, we get the earliest written documentation of slavery, the Code of Hammurabi. This Babylonian legal text permitted debtors to sell their wives and children into temporary slavery, lasting a maximum of three years. Around 1400 BC, we get the biblical narrative of the Israelites suffering as slaves in captivity in Egypt. Quote, the Egyptians made their lives bitter by hard service with mortar and bricks, and by all kinds of service in the fields. Every kind of service the Israelites were required to give was rigorous. Close quote. While the Israelites were forced to build the city of Pi-Ramses as well as tons of bricks and monuments, contrary to popular belief, they did not build the pyramids. The pyramids were built before the Israelites even got there, and according to archaeology writer Owen Jarrus. The rich diet of the pyramid builders, combined with the evidence for medical care and receiving textiles as a form of payment, has led Egyptologists to generally agree that the workers were not enslaved people. Anyway, decades later, through a series of fortuitous circumstances, the Israelites were freed from their Egyptian bondage, and they in turn had their own slaves. Their slaves came from two primary sources, prisoners of war and debt slaves, much like the Sumerians. These slaves were not treated like the later chattel slaves of the Atlantic slave trade. For one thing, Israelite slaves were to be treated humanely. They were supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. According to Maimonides, based on Leviticus, slaves were also not to be given pointless, open-ended work or to be punished with work in that format. Slaves were to be assigned specific tasks that needed to get done. Slaves were forbidden from being killed, and if a slave was injured, they were immediately manumitted. Another way of saying they were set free. Now, another thing is, these slaves were not property. They weren't handed off from generation to generation. According to Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 1 and Exodus chapter 21 verse 2, The Israelites were commanded by God to release their slaves and forgive one another of their debts every seventh year. Oddly enough, leaving slavery was not always desirable as some slaves became important and powerful members of a household. And so they were allowed to announce their decision to remain as slaves before the judges and then they would have their ear pierced as a sign of their continued servitude. After the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BC, the leaders who were rebuilding Israel, such as Nehemiah and other prophets, they agitated for the end of slavery in Judea. And they were successful in these efforts, as they were highly influential members of their community. At this same time, the Persian emperor Cyrus released the slaves in his empire. He boasts that, quote, I sought the safety of the city of Babylon and all its sanctuaries. As for the population of Babylon, who, without divine intention, had endured a yoke not decreed for them, I soothed their weariness. I freed them from their bonds. Marduk, the great Lord, rejoiced at my good deeds. Close quote. Sure enough, he released over fifty thousand Jewish captives from Babylon, and presumably tens of thousands of other enslaved peoples. These Jewish captives would return to the Holy Land and help Nehemiah with his efforts to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, these civilizations were unique in releasing their slaves. In the rest of the world, slavery continued to be an integral institution and part of their economy. As I spoke of in an earlier episode, the Spartans relied on the helots, a race of enslaved people, to do all of their manual labor. In classical Athens, it is estimated that the ratio of citizens to slaves was one to one. Even after Solon, the lawgiver, released all of the debt slaves, some historians suspect it spurred the Athenians to seek out even more chattel slaves. Even Diogenes, the Greek philosopher, was once captured by pirates and auctioned off as a slave in Corinth. By the time you get to the end of the Roman Republic era, and the rise of the Empire, one in six persons living in Rome was a slave. That is an estimated 10 million people. Like other forms of ancient slavery this was not based on race. Roman slaves were mostly drawn from debtors or conquered peoples much like the Israelites and the Sumerians. But there were many other ways to become a slave as well. So being a prisoner of war, selling yourself into slavery, your parents selling you into slavery, being punished for a crime, being abandoned as an infant, or the most popular, having excessive debt. So looks like Americans aren't the first people to overcharge the credit card. Because of the various ways to get into slavery, this meant that slaves could be Italians, Romans, Syrians, Northern Africans, Celts, and Germans. Greek slaves were particularly common as well as highly sought for due to their excellent education. Oftentimes, as a wealthy Roman citizen, your accountant, your barber, your secretary, and your physician would all be your slaves. Likewise, your children were tutored by slaves as well as babysat and breastfed by them. At home, slaves were your seamstresses, your cooks, your butlers, and handmaids. In the city, slaves were your laundry workers, engravers, shoemakers, bakers, mule drivers, and prostitutes. Slaves were also the managers to other slaves. Oftentimes, slaves had their own slaves that they bought and sold. If you were a skilled or important slave attached to a wealthy home, You often lived a peaceful life of luxury, even superior to those of free Romans who lived and worked in the city and were poor. For an unskilled slave, or slaves with less kind masters or good fortune, life could easily be a living Hades. Slaves, numbering in the tens of thousands, were condemned to work in the mines or quarries where conditions were notoriously brutal. Or you might end up as a slave who works in the baths, having to keep the hot tub, Calendarium, uh, warm by feeding the furnace all day. A very sweaty, back-breaking labor. Regardless of how crappy your situation was, all slaves were permitted to celebrate Saturnalia on December 23rd. On this holiday, slaves were permitted to wear a pointy hat called a pilius, signifying freedom. They were granted free speech, they could ignore their masters, and they ate banquets where some historians have suggested that their masters would serve them. The Stoics, who believed all men were equal, would have preferred for the slaves to live like Saturnalia every day. Epictetus was a Stoic philosopher and former slave, and he had strong feelings about the institution. But it is Seneca who writes the Stoic position best in a letter titled On Master and Slave. Quote, They are slaves, people declare. Nay, rather they are men. Kindly remember that he whom you call your slave sprang from the same stock, is smiled upon by the same skies, and on equal terms with yourself breathes, lives, and dies. It is just as possible for you to see in him a free-born man as for him to see in you a slave. As Seneca alludes to here, it is fairly easy for a slave and master to reverse roles. Seneca goes on to reference how in the past there were some noble families who lost the favor of the emperor, and so they became slaves. At the same time, emperors have elevated slaves with great favor to positions of power and prestige, making them nobles. Along with the Stoics, the Christians also had radical views on slavery. The gospel that Jesus Christ taught was the embodiment of liberty. In fact, Jesus, quoting Isaiah, claimed that his purpose was to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. He taught of a king who forgave the massive debt of a slave, and he healed the slaves of a centurion in Capernaum. Despite the master's mercy towards slaves, Jesus was actually preaching an even higher level of freedom. He explains, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. As you can see here, the slavery that Jesus Christ would liberate us from was sin, rather than the type that many Romans were subjected to. Nevertheless, the message resonated profoundly among slaves. As you read the Epistle of Romans, uh, chapter 16 to be pre- specific, you see that most of the people Paul is greeting here are slaves. He says, quote, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Typhrina and Typhrosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Because of this enslaved audience, Paul uses metaphors relevant to their lives. He writes in Romans chapter 6 verses 15 to 23, Having been set free as slaves of sin, you are now slaves of righteousness. One of the slaves Paul taught and befriended in Rome was Onesimus. Onesimus was actually an escaped slave, and his master, Philemon, was also a Christian. Paul took a unique approach to Onesimus' situation. Paul commanded Philemon that he should treat his runaway slave as a beloved brother and rejoice at his return. This was a radical view since escaping slavery was often a capital crime. In the 4th century, Christian Bishop Gregory of Nyssa wrote, Humans were granted mastery over the animals by God, but in practicing slavery, humans overstepped the boundaries of their appointment. How could the human being, the rational creation of God, be given a price? What could have the same market value as human nature? How much does rationality cost? These very radical attitudes towards slavery, and slaves being equal with freemen, and all of us needing liberation from sin, led to the eventual abolition of slavery in Christian nations after the Second Great Awakening. Unfortunately for the Romans, the Second Great Awakening would not happen for over a millennium. So what legal means did slaves have to terminate their bondage? Well, if you were a debt slave, on paper, it was fairly straightforward all you had to do was pay back the debt to your creditors. Likewise, if you sold your child into slavery to pay off a debt, all you had to do was pay that back. For foreign-born individuals captured as prisoners of war, manumission was a lot more iffy. Most of the time, slaves were freed as part of the terms of their master's will or for services rendered. If you were freed, unlike in the Greek city-states, you became a Roman citizen. Tiro. A slave and secretary to Cicero famously was released after Cicero's death. He went on to live a luxurious life with slaves of his own and he retired in a large country estate where he'd lived to the age of 99. Now, being released as a slave was a big if. Of course, cruel masters had all kinds of tricks to keep people enslaved. It was not at all uncommon for a slave's wages to only pay for their freedom by the time they were too old to work anymore. Then they'd have just enough money to buy their replacement before being shipped off to beg on the streets. Another method to keep slaves from freedom was accusing them of crimes. If a slave committed a crime, they would be labeled as deditici. A Dedetici was a subject of Rome who could never become a citizen. Usually, a Dedetici was someone from a conquered land who had fought or rebelled against Rome. For the slaves who received this label, life was particularly brutal. They were regularly beaten and chained by their masters. Many were sent to involuntarily become gladiators and die in the arena. These were called damnati. Even if a Dedici was freed from slavery, they would be forbidden from citizenship or even coming within a hundred miles of Rome. Obviously, many slaves were not happy with these arrangements. Runaway slaves like Onesimus were not at all uncommon. As a result, there was always a handsome bounty for catching runaway slaves, and some people made a profession out of it. Since the slaves could easily blend in with the general population, many slave owners found it necessary to tattoo their slaves. On their foreheads, it would often read, stop me, I'm a runaway, or tax paid. Detailed wanted banners and bounties were often posted. Like I said, escaping slavery was a capital offense. It could be carried out through crucifixion. If the slaves were not executed, Fugue would be tattooed on their forehead, for fugitive. If you were a Roman citizen caught harboring slaves, you could end up as a slave yourself. Many escaped slaves had to wear headbands, and they would send prayers to Aslepius, the god of healing, for help removing their tattoos. Because of this, many slaves were pushed to desperation. These escaped slaves would launch full-fledged rebellions and even wars to pursue their freedom. There were countless minor rebellions and three major rebellions that turned into wars, as documented by Diodorus. The first two major rebellions took place in Sicily. The third, and most famous, took place in mainland Italy and was led by a gladiator named Spartacus in 73 BC. Crazily enough, this slave rebellion would bring the republic to its knees and usher in the foundations of the Roman Empire. Tune in next week for our glorious episode on gladiators and the great Spartacus. that concludes our episode today for more information about this topic check out the encyclopedia britannica's article on slavery psu.edu's article on mesopotamian slavery three slave revolts by diodorus and the wikipedia articles on the history of slavery and ancient roman slavery i'm doug archway and that's history for you